Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is February 3rd, also known as Lockout Day 64, with seemingly no end in sight. But more on that later. I am Dave Gasper, joined as always by Matt Carroll. We are the editors at ReviewingTheBrew.com. Matt, it's been a long week, man, and it's just getting longer when we get all these reports about the... uh, about the lockout buddy are, are you holding in pretty well over there i it's it's starting to get a little bit tough because i know uh about 10 days from now roughly actually maybe even a little bit less is when pitchers and catchers would be reporting Ugh. and so this should be the time that we're starting to anticipate that and we're just gonna get nothing and so nothing i'm getting a, getting getting dry humped you know it's, it's like I, being sent to warm up on the mound and and they don't bring you in that, yep. that that's called a dry hump in baseball circles. Not Oof. what, not what you sickos are thinking in your head. But <laughs> I mean, you could have gone yeah. with the baseball blue balls as well. But that's yeah. true. That's true. What is your uh, cold brew over there today, man? Uh, on, on the well, cold brew podcast, we haven't talked about what we're drinking in a while. We have not. We, I'm hanging. We've up also been recording a lot earlier in the day. This is true. Uh, yeah. I am hanging out with two women. I mean, ooh, can't complain. Wow, that. Too, wow, what a stud over there. <laughs> New Glarus's finest, well, one of their bets. Yeah. Two women. How about you? That's very solid. I've got in my review, I'm I'm actually not going a cold brew today. I'm going a hot brew, actually. Oh, so I've, I've got my my reviewing the brew mug here, uh, which you can get at the fan-sided swag shop, by the way, if, if you want sure. that. It's a very great mug. Uh, but in light of it being negative uh, two degrees uh, with the wind chill, I made yeah. myself some hot chocolate with uh, a little uh irish seasoning there we go all right i i, I knew you had i it made it up. strong uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the way i take my hot chocolate so <laughs> so that's where we're at and frankly we have good reason to be drinking because rob manfred is still commissioner and we are still in a lockout <laughs> and it's not ending soon man i mean we're, we're getting the reports that are coming through uh on Thursday here, that Major League Baseball asked the Federal Mediation Commission or whatever, like basically a whole bunch of federal government uh, mediators to come in and help mediate the CBA talks between the league and the players union. And so basically what this means is that MLB is unable to uh feels that they are unable to come to an agreement. So in order to do so, they are going to use uh, federal tax dollars, uh, our federal tax dollars, uh, to pay for them to continue to bicker at each other. So it, it's uh, it's not a great sign. Um, but, but, but in all seriousness, th- this is not a great sign. The Players Union feels that this is a PR stunt, uh, and they're not likely to accept a mediator and looking back, I've seen a bunch of reports come through, too. They tried mediation back in 1994 during that strike, the last strike or, or the last uh, um, labor issue, labor dispute that uh, these two sides have had. And mediation did not work there. Both sides felt it was a, a complete failure. But the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And that's exactly what Rob Manfred is doing here trying for mediation again when it didn't work before. Yeah, big surprise. Uh, Rob Manfred trying something that is very obviously not going to work, whether it be rules changes, whether it be 
bargaining talks. Uh, he just throws those smart ideas out there, doesn't he? And the <laughs> players union is probably completely right. I mean, this is a way for the owners, knowing that it hasn't worked in the past, um, to or the MLB, let's just say that. Um, MLB, no, I'm not, not the MLB. Oh, I, I said the owners. Five dollars so in the jar, e. man. I should, yes. MLB, I'm not that guy. I'm not the the MLB guy. I don't know. You're not that is. guy, pal. You're no, not that guy. I don't know why it's popped up twice on a podcast, but whatever. Anyway, MLB is, I'm certain, doing that, even though they, it didn't work in the past, uh, calling on the federal mediators so they can say, hey, hey, we're trying here, guys. When in all reality, no, you're not. If you were trying, you would just attempt to find some middle ground with the players union and anything. And neither of them are budging. I mean, you're, you're getting just little bits in, of movement here and there uh, that's bringing them nowhere closer together on any of these core economic issues. No, that it's I, I'm I 100 percent believe that it was a PR stunt. Yeah. And it's. You know, yeah, you look at it, it's like, oh, we're trying to get, you know, mediation, we're trying to get help and uh, blah, blah. But, you know, Rob Manfred, you know, was talking about how, you know, cut his teeth and the, you know, on the labor side of things and, you know, was a part of that, you know, 1994 strike and like trying to get things going. And, you know, maybe they're like they're trying to turn public sentiment um, you know, kind of towards them and, you know, away from the players. But I really don't think it's it's going to work. I mean, these these owners, um, yeah, they, they have not really been making much effort. I mean, they, they put in the lockout. They called it a defensive lockout um, to try to spur negotiations. And they've had like four negotiating sessions in the last two months. Like they, they didn't they went a stretch of six weeks without talking. And now all of a sudden, like, they're going to try to, you know, come together. They've had four sessions in, in a span of two months. And now they're like, ah, call on the mediators. You know, we can't get anywhere. Like, keep meeting, keep talking, keep showing up the next day and the next day and the day after that until you guys get some progress, get a deal done. You guys know what's at stake. Like, do it. And you'd think a mediator would come in and just kind of kick them both in the ass and just be like, okay, let's get it done. But by all these reports, like the mediators got to go through like their own like checklist or whatever. And like whatever they do, like they have kind of their own side thing. And like it really doesn't help with these two going at each other's throats. And, and it's not really going to change much. No, not at all. And it's funny that you bring up that whole defensive lockout thing, because, again, like that just it, it's a way of framing it to sound as though, you know, the, the owners had no choice. Like we're doing this, even though everyone. And their mother knew that a lockout was coming, it, but they frame it as a defensive lockout so that we can, you know, continue the negotiations as opposed to if there's a strike happening. So you've got your defensive lockout. You've got your we've got to call in the mediator to help us, you know, them trying to throw this out. And I agree with you. I think it's exactly to try and pull the public sentiment towards them. We will not be fooled, Manfred and MLB. Like, we're not leaving the sides of the players here. I mean, the owners are obviously the ones who have been making out like bandits during all of this. And the players just want a more fair piece of the pie. And they've deserved it. They are the game. So, no, sorry, you're not uh, you're not 
swinging us your way. We this and on top of that, like this is starting to turn out exactly like the 2020 uh, season negotiations mm-hmm. did. Just a whole bunch of back and forth, nothing getting done. The owners and Manfred and MLB and whatever trying to um, drag play the feet. media, drag their yeah. feet, but also like trying to change the public perception to make the uh, players look bad. Tony Clark didn't help that at all. Um, but it's just, it's just a mess again. And it's exactly what we expected it to be. And like you said, like three, four bargaining sessions and all of a sudden, no, nope, we can't get it done. Call in the mediator. Like, no, you're not even trying. Get out of here. Like you sat on your thumbs for what? Two months before they finally came back to the table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. And especially, I mean, it, as the players look at it and as everyone else looks at it, I mean, you've got these teams making record profits or they're seeing the franchise valuations continue to go up and up and up. And it's like, okay, like you guys are like, you aren't cash strapped. Like you guys are making money. You guys are doing pretty well for yourselves over there. And a big reason for that is the players. You know, like you, without the players, you don't have a product. You you don't have anything. You don't make any money if you don't have any players. And the the players know this. And like you can't just replace them. You know, like you can't just oh we'll find some new guys to play major league baseball. Not at the same quality. No, it's just it, it's not going to happen. And I mean, this is kind of you know the the basis of you know all management and labor disputes. And, you know that that whole thing, but. Um, you know, especially with this, I mean, it's such a specialized skill, you know, and it's such a specialized area that, you know, you make like there's this much money at stake. And it's just so tough for these guys to give up like one cent of it, it, it seems like, you know, to, to give even, even an inch of ground. It's like you're still making millions of dollars, both of you. Like this shouldn't be like too difficult like someone's just got to like both sides not just someone but both sides have to just kind of put their pride aside and be like look for the good of the game for the future of the game we need to come to a deal because we cannot have a shortened season but like baseball cannot have that right now you had a shortened season in 2020 and 2021 you were missing a whole bunch of attendance especially for the first half of the season and like you need a full season Everyone at full capacity to for everyone to get back. The owner should want that because they make the most amount of money when they do that. And haggling over, you know, however much million dollars is in a bonus pool for zero to two year service time players is stupid. Yeah, it's it's ironic, isn't it? I mean, this the their whole uh, goal is to continue making as much money as possible as owners and yet they're willing to risk not only the short-term future of the game in potentially having a shortened season but the long-term future of the game in terms of lost fans but i'm already seeing people you know on social media saying you know i'm done with mlb like just having to listen to them do this uh is is enough where i i don't need to go to games anymore or watch mlb i think it's a, a very small percentage right now but it's only going to keep growing and then that in turn is going to hurt the game and and their ability to make money. So you're risking your future ability to make money by trying to just not give the players any ground whatsoever. 
I mean, at some point, you've got to realize that. And they're just, it, they just don't care. They just, they, they're so yeah. greedy that they want to keep every little cent possible. And it's going to end up costing them in the long run if they don't figure this out soon. Yeah, it's amazing to me. And I don't know who who came up with this or, or like whose plan this is, whether it's the owners combined or whether it's Rob Manfred himself or, or who it is. But it, it almost seems like since Rob Manfred took over, there has been no long-term vision or long-term strategy at all. It's all been short-term, immediate gains. What can I get now? It's a, it's a what have you done for me lately? And, and what can I get right now? It's an instant gratification type thing that, that these guys are dealing with. Not one of them, it seems on the owner's side is looking long-term. The players are looking long-term. They want to set things up. I mean, they know that they have, I mean, they're looking long-term and short. I mean, they have both visions because I mean, a lot of these players, this is going to be their only CBA negotiation. This is good. This is going to be the only chance to change things for a lot of them. By the time the next CBA comes up in five years, they're not going to be in the league. They're not going to be part of it. It's not going to impact them. But, but like they, they have had, or they have started to have, it, it seems, a bit of a long-term vision. I mean, the Players Association has been planning for a lockout for the past like three or four years. And the owners, every single move they make seems to be only for short-term things. They, they never seem to make anything looking towards long-term when it comes to either gaining more fans or or making more money, or doing whatever it is, it's all just what makes me the most money today, rather than, you know, okay, this may not make me as much money now, but five, ten years down the road, I'm really going to be raking it in. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And So, instead, you've got everyone kind of, stalemate isn't 100% the word, but it's about as close to it as you get right now. Yeah. Um, because every, every, at least the two, Two sides are meeting a couple times a week. I mean, I guess that's something. Well, we're running out of time for, here. For, right, we are. Absolutely. Um, but, I mean, they're meeting a couple times a week. They're throwing in proposals here and there. Although the most recent meeting, it sounds like they weren't actually even going over economics at all, which is frightening. And they're just yelling at each other. Yeah, like, essentially. Like all the reports are like, oh, it was another heated session. It was, it was just two hours of them yelling at each other about things and players yelling at owners and owners yelling back. And, you know, I, I think the players association's latest uh, proposal, uh, cause they're the last one to put one out. And, you know, they're, they're talking about that, uh, the bonus pool for the young players. MLB started at 105 million. Uh, the league came back with 10 million, which is laughable. I mean, also 105 is also kind of laughable um, as well. It's like, that's, that's a bit much. Like, I know you're aiming high, like, I get both positions. The, the Players Association is going to aim high to start, knowing that they're not going to get 105. The league is like, okay, fine, and we'll start at 10 million. They know it's going to take more than 10 million to get a deal done, but they're going to start as low as possible, and then they'll just work their way up. So, like, let's work towards the middle. That That's how these things go. But the players, instead of coming, like, they came back, oh, they lowered it from 105 to $100 million. Like, like just a, like a 5 million decrease. It's like, dude, like, let's start to get serious with, with our push towards the middle here. Like, if we're just going 5 million at a time, it's going to take so incredibly long to get to a deal and, and to find some middle ground. Like, let's just make this go quickly. Okay, you come back at 100. Okay, now, now let's put them at 
20. Now let's put you guys at 90, then them at 30, then you at 80, then then them at 40, and then you at 70, and just kind of work your way down, and you'll end up getting to probably somewhere between 50 and 60 million dollars, and then boom. Because like for this, for for that bonus pool of of zero to two year players, you're setting a foundation. Like like this hasn't been done before. Like you're just creating this. So it, like if you're just building this up, the first thing you got to do is pour the foundation. Okay, I'm not I'm not an architect. Okay, but I know <laughs> that that's kind of where you got to start. You got to start with the foundation. Um, so like if you want to build this up from there in future deals, that's fine. But start with a good baseline here. Okay, you're not going to start at 100 million dollars. Start at 50, and then over the next several years, you can try to help push it up. But give yourself a baseline because it's probably not going to get lower than whatever this baseline is. So agree to something, get a baseline. And then in future deals, work your way up. Yeah, Boom, simple. I solved it. Beautiful. Play ball. You solved one. <laughs> but we still yeah. have free agency and arbitration and draft lottery and revenue yeah. sharing. I don't think they've even touched revenue sharing yet. Um, well, MLB said that's a no-go. And right. I think uh, That was the last I heard. Yeah, and I think they're going to drop the request to change revenue sharing. Yeah. Um, at least that's what some reports are. I don't know. I mean... We've seen some reports that they're going to drop certain things, like the Players Association dropped the request for earlier free agency. Uh, MLB dropped theirs for, I think, completely redoing arbitration and just, like, basing it off F-War or Mm. something like that. So, like, both sides kind of dropped their most, like, egregious changes. So I think that's, like, some progress, but there's still so many other issues. Yeah. And, I mean, you've got spring training starting, supposed supposed to start in about two weeks. I mean, you've got the Super Bowl is now a week later. So the week after, like like the week after the Super Bowl, now like baseball should be starting. And mm-hmm. instead of like two weeks in between or, or a week or two in between, you've got like three or four days and then spring training starts. So that really helps the transition. It's like, okay, football's done. Oh man, what do I watch now? Oh look, baseball starting. Because otherwise you, you've got a whole month and then it's just like, well, now what? And people go to hockey more basketball or, or watch whatever else and it's like now you can have baseball jump right in and get people's attention from there yeah it in that sense it, it almost makes it seem pretty darn important then that in the next 10 days they've got to get a hell of a lot closer because as soon as that super bowl is done all eyes are on you guys like it's not quite March yeah. madness yet in college basketball so you you know sports fans don't have that to focus on um, NBA will be starting. Um, they'll be coming out of the all-star break at that point, I believe. Um, so it kind of, you know, they hit their almost like dog days, quote unquote um, for them. Um, I think there's hockey fans out there. I, I kid, I, I used to watch hockey, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, everyone, there's going to be a lot of sports fans who, like you said, transition right from football to baseball. And, Coming out of the Super Bowl, okay, where's uh, what's happening in baseball here? Oh, oh, they still haven't figured anything out. Oh, spring training isn't starting anytime soon. Well, that's great. Like, that's when they really start to lose the public perception. Both sides will start losing it at that point. Yeah, it's it's not good for any of them. It's not good for baseball. It's not good for the owners. It's not good for the players. And 
This is so easily avoidable. If they would just stop acting like children and just get it done. And that's where, like, you would think, you know, a mediator coming in would help and just, you know, slap them both on the back of the head and be like, all right, guys, put on your big boy pants and let's do this and let's hash this out. But apparently they don't help that much. But it's it's a struggle. And it's a struggle watching the game struggle and just kind of knowing how easily preventable this is if you just brought in some common sense to these talks. But neither side uh, is willing to budge and they may be reaching an impasse. I mean, and if you reach an impasse after only three or four negotiation sessions, you're you're just bad at negotiating. Like 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 I don't know what else to tell you. Like this, the, there is so much distrust between these two sides. The 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 players don't trust the league at all. The league doesn't really trust the players. It's it's just a mess. And I don't know how they can resolve this quickly. Besides, someone just kind of growing up. And just saying, let's hash this out on the other side of green. I mean, they, they just got to lock themselves into a room and get it done. Yeah, it, that it, if I would understand that they neither side has reached an agreement quite yet. If it were for the fact that they were meeting every day to try and figure this out and they're not, they're meeting at most, what, two times a week. Yeah, I think is is the most uh, sessions I've seen in a week so far. And that's just that's not acceptable. Like you, you can have like maybe one off day during the week to regroup and figure things out. But I mean, both sides know what they want. They've got to have an idea of what the middle ground is going to be. Hash it out, like figure it out. Like, I, I don't understand why they have to spend so much time apart when all that does is like we said, you know, delay the start of spring training and potentially delay the start of the regular season and all these different things. And like, thank God we're not coming off that shortened season where players needed those spring training reps to try and get back Mm -hmm. into a full season game shape. Um, There are minor leaguers who are going to suffer, um, who had a chance to, uh, would have had a chance to make a team and now maybe aren't going to get quite as much reps. Um, Pitchers, if it's not going to be, the full length spring training that might not go very well yeah. on them. You know, a lot of them need that, you know, full ramp up into the oh, yeah. regular season. And so if there's going to be a shortened spring training, you know, what's going to happen to the starters at the beginning of the season, how long are they going to be going? Is there going to be increased pitcher injuries at the beginning of the year? Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this whole thing affects baseball in so on so many more levels than they realize yeah. They just they they've got to get this done and they need to meet more often than they are because this is ridiculous. Yeah, th- this reminds me of a, of a roommate I had in college. Uh, he was a horrible roommate. Um, but <laughs> like. So so you're talking about like, yeah, like like they need to meet every single day to get this figured out. And it's like my roommate because this dude always complained about having no money and like he wasn't able to like pay his tuition. So like he had like the semester off. So like he didn't even have classes he was going to. And he only worked two days a week. <laughs> like, dude, you are working 15 hours a week, man, or, or like 10, 15 hours a week. And you're complaining about how you have no money. Here's an idea. Work more, work more hours, pay rent, buddy. I need you to pay rent over here. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I so mean, that like, yeah. that's what it's like. It's just like, it's, 
the 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 solution is right there in front of you. Work more, like work at it more, show up more, meet with each other every single day, try to figure this out instead of just whining and complaining to everyone else. Oh, they're being unreasonable. I, you know, how can we expect to get this done? Like, you you meet twice a week. Like, there's this is urgent now. Like, like we have reached a huge level of urgency, and they're still only meeting maybe twice a week. MLB apparently is not going to give a counter proposal to what the Players Association put out a couple of days ago. Now, all of a sudden, they, like, they don't want to give a counter? What? Like, I don't care if you didn't like their last offer. You probably didn't. It probably sucked. But you got a counter. If you want baseball to happen, which you do because that is your sport, that's how you make money, you got to put an offer out there. Like, I don't care if you think they're being unreasonable. you got to put an offer out there. Yeah, and and yet we need a mediator for this. You're not you're not even trying. You're not trying. You're not. You would be. Let me be the mediator. Were, I'll yeah. jump in there and oh, I'll start screaming at him. Smack Manford upside the head. Yeah. But kick him in the kneecaps. I mean, <laughs> again, start meeting more often, and then if it's still not working, maybe you can consider a mediator. It, it, it's not going to work. It didn't work last yeah. time. So no, don't actually consider it. But to, to say that we need mediation when you're not even attempting to meet an offer and counter offer and counter offer and counter offer, like you're not even doing that. Like you, how, how, how has it come to that already? Like, no, get your ass back have. in the room. Yeah. That will fix this. Yeah, Absolutely. But fortunately, there is one thing that they seem to be able to agree upon, and that is the universal DH. Uh, John Heyman reported that the other day, that uh, barring something completely unexpected, uh, the DH is assumed to be entering the National League. Uh, Both sides seem to be in favor of it, um, and it's looking like that's going to be happening. So we're going to get the DH with with the Milwaukee Brewers. And this, I I know traditionalists um, may not like it, but this is really great news for the Brewers. Um, First of all, we talk about how the offense sucks and how they need to add more uh, more power to the offense, add a boost to the offense. Well, that's what the designated hitter does. You know, you you have a DH, it's a regular hitter who's trained to be a hitter and paid to be a hitter. Occupying a spot in the lineup that used to be occupied by a pitcher who was trained to be a pitcher and does not know how to hit and cannot provide much offense at all. Okay, yes, you have your Brandon Woodruff home runs. You have your Adrian Hauser going yard off that one dude from Miami. But really, those are so rare, and it's really not going to outweigh the uh, possible bonuses of having a DH. Okay, and let's be honest here. Pitchers hitting peaked. When Bartolo Colon went yard, okay? <laughs> Ever since then, like, it, it's not going to get better than that. We have reached the top moment of pitchers hitting. <laughs> it will not get better. I do not care. That is it. It's all downhill from there. So let's just and let's just appreciate those moments where, when pitchers were hitting. But it is time for the Universal DH. So the Brewers can boost their offense by, by adding another hitter. And or, you know, getting one of their current guys, maybe some time off from the field and make sure that they stay healthy. And also 
your pitchers aren't going to get hurt uh, trying to run the bases or swing the bat. Have you seen Corbin Burns run to first? It is the most unathletic <laughs> looking shit I have ever seen. Yeah. Like, I don't need him getting hurt, pulling a hammy, running down to first base. Okay? Like, he tripped and face planted one of those times last year, like trying to run out like an infield hit or something. He went to first, tripped over first base, and face planted. I don't need to see that. And, I need and Burns he, throwing cutters on the outside corner. And he's like our first or second best hitter last year. Yeah. Like that's the Woodruff had a terrible year offensively. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. really did. I but mean, Burns had a bunch of hits and some RBIs. Yeah. And that's the best you're getting basically like it is as just someone who enjoys watching the art of hitting. How can you want to see pitchers bats? Let's, Let's let's look at the numbers for last year, just for the heck of it. Pitchers uh, combined across the league hit a whopping 108 last year. That's what you want to see. You want to see hits 10 percent of the time. Uh, you want you want to take a lucky even guess. Even Keston Hura hit 50 points higher than that. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> you, you want to take a lucky guess at how often uh, pitchers struck out? 50 percent. It was dang close. 45. 45 percent of the time a pitcher goes to the plate, they're striking out like you want to complain about the state of baseball, that there's too many strikeouts. That's part of the problem is pitchers friggin' striking out like it is just not it, it's not fun to watch. And I heard the most ridiculous thing on the radio a couple of weeks ago. They're talking about the universal DH and some guy he was an older fella. So, you know, I'm sure he was set in his ways. Um, he stated that 75% of the strategy in baseball will be taken away if the DH comes to the National League. 75%, 70, you're telling me that Council is spending 75% of his time trying to figure out who to pinch hit for a pitcher? What the hell else is he doing in the dugout then? Like, come on. Like, yes. I, I, I get that a small part of the strategy from the game will be gone when you're not having to worry about the decisions that come with pinch hitting for your pitcher and then the three batter minimum that, you know, kind of came with it and like all the like dominoes that fall from that. But trust me, there is still plenty of strategy left in the game to make it interesting. There are American League teams who still have fans despite the fact that they have designated hitters. Crazy to think, isn't it, that all of the AL fans weren't driven away by the fact that their manager doesn't have to pinch hit for their pitchers. Like, yeah. I think I think we will survive. Like, like take some of these situations. Like, like, if you're going through as a fan, like, oh, like, you know, bottom of the order is, like, finally doing something. Oh, sweet. Now we got runners on second and third and two outs. And here comes the pitcher. Yeah. So, like, you're all excited about a chance to score some runs. You know, you got some guys in scoring position, and but you got two outs, and the pitcher's up. And it's like, well, there goes that chance. A, a good chance to score more runs, completely wasted. And because they're probably going to strike out on three pitches. They don't know what they're doing. Or, or you have, you know, guys on second and third again. Two outs, your eighth-place hitter is up. Intentional walk, bring up the pitcher, and we'll throw to him. And it's just like... It's a waste, you know, it, it just kind of, I, I don't like that part, you know, like, like that strategy, ooh, like, you know, I get it from their side, but that's not good for the game. 
you know, like, like we want to see some some action. Like we want to see some runs. Like that's certainly going to help. And really, also for the Brewers, like the fundo- the foundation of your team is the starting rotation. All right. So not only will this help keep them healthy by them not having to run the bases. Keep in mind. Running the bases is what destroyed Jimmy Nelson's career. Mm -hmm. Uh, It also injured Chase Anderson and Junior Guerra all in that 2017 season. Um, God, just imagine this rotation with Nelson, Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, and then Hauser, Lauer, and and Ashby behind. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, Anyways, but not not only will it keep those guys help keep them healthy, but also they're not going to be pulled – earlier in the game just because you know a pinch hit opportunity came up their spot in the order came up a chance to score some runs so council had a pinch hit for him so the starters only went five you know when they probably could have gone you know six or seven or whatever now you can keep those guys in as long as they're pitching well don't have to deal with oh their spot in the batting order is coming up i have to remove them like you can let them go as long as you want as long as they're able to go and you don't have to deal with pinch hitting for them or, or anything like that or, or that kind of decision. It allows your starters to go longer because that's another big complaint. Oh, starters don't pitch long enough. Yep. You know, like, well, I mean, we have all these pinch hit issues. So if we got rid of that, counts will be willing to let us pitchers go longer. Yeah, that's a really good point. I was I, that was the next thing I was going to say. Uh, right. And then you took the words right out of my mouth it. is yeah. like Brewers fans for years. I do that a lot. You, you, it's true. <laughs> Uh, Brewers fans for years have been lamenting the fact that, you know, we don't have complete games. We don't, you know, our starting pitchers don't go that long. And, you know, it's it's good that we've had a, you know, lockdown bullpen in a lot of those years recently. Um, but you know what? Maybe we'll see more of those now. Like, you know, maybe we don't have to go four or five years in between complete games anymore. Um, it's just imagine that. And I think it was a good uh, point that you brought up, too, about the fact that, like, it's not only the nine spot in the order um, that's so negatively affected offensively by the fact that you have pitchers hitting that eight spot, too. Just like you said, I mean, how often is it that, you know, that guy is getting intentionally walked or is getting pitched around very obviously Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, you have the pitcher behind them in two outs Um I mean, that so that's essentially potentially, you know, two spots in the order where you're just seeing bad offense, you know, one reliant on the other. So just overall, that's that's why Brewers fans, because of the fact that we can have better offense, we can have, you know, just a more aesthetically pleasing offensive game. And the fact that our starting pitchers can go deeper and that takes some of the pressure off the bullpen, the bull, a bullpen that uh as it stands right now, isn't quite as strong as last year. We could stand to have our starting pitchers go a little deeper in 2022, um, unless we sign some more arms for the pen. Um, I think this they will. will help. I think yeah. they will too. But you know, as well, things stand issue. right now, right? As things stand right now, the universal DH is going to help that. Yeah, absolutely. And um there are plenty of guys that, that they could get to help. I mean, they, they could fill it internally. I mean, they, they have some internal guys. I mean, you could uh, put either Keston Hira or Rowdy Tellez there, depending on who you want to play there defensively. Uh, you could give Keston, uh, you could give Christian Yelich some time at DH, and uh, that would allow Tyrone Taylor some more time to to play the outfield. You could also have Tyrone Taylor at DH. Uh, I think 
a DH would open up a real roster possibility for David Dahl, uh, mm-hmm. who's been who was down in AAA last year. That that's a chance for him to make the roster um, if he can prove that that he's back going offensively. Um, I also like the idea of signing Nelson Cruz. Yes. Um, former former Brewer prospect traded him. Um, and he's gone on to have a fantastic career, still bouncing around. I believe he's over 40 years old now, 41 or, or something. Um, I, I'd have to look that up. But uh, Nelson Cruz is still looking for a job, uh, lo- looking to play next year. And I think it'd be a great spot. Bring him back to Milwaukee. He's still a very productive bat. You can have him be your DH. And, you know, he'll provide plenty of pop. He- he'll provide production. Uh, for your team and help boost your offense. And if you have an offense with a functioning Christian Yelich, uh, a functioning Keston Hira, hopefully, Nelson Cruz, Hunter Renfro, uh, Willie Adamas, Luis Arias, that's a really strong middle of the order. Plus you got Colton Wong, plus you got uh, Omar Narvaez, you got Lorenzo Cain. I mean, you got all of a sudden a really, really strong lineup. Um, And... You know, I, I think Cruz would be uh, a great fit, especially in the in the short term. You know, while, while the Brewers still kind of try to navigate the DH, but you know, when they're going to have their prospects coming up, and they're going to have a lot of guys that, that they're going to want to get some at bats and maybe keep some guys off the field, they can just put them at DH, and it, it really is going to be a, a, a net positive for this offense. Yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely. If if assuming this rule does in fact pass, and by everything we've heard of for months, um, especially recently, it seems like it will. I would. I want the first call that Stearns makes as soon as operations are up again to be to Cruz. Cruz was slugging or had an OPS of nine oh seven at forty years old with the Twins before he mm-hmm. ended up getting traded to the Rays and then ended up having his numbers tank a little bit due to the hellhole that is Tropicana Chop. Field yeah. for uh, hitters. Um, but before that, I mean, yeah, I mean, the guy was an all-star again last year, hit 32 home runs as a 40-year-old. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, the guy still got it in him, clearly. Um, so come on, come on back home. We'll take you here. <laughs> I know you would love to uh, test out that bat at American Family Field. I, I know you want to, Nelly. Oh, so yeah. Come on. We'll take you. And then that would be that would be just the perfect, perfect addition to this Brewers team that now has a universal DH and gets to stretch out their, you know, top ranked uh, starting rotation as far as I'm concerned. And as far as a lot of people are concerned, let's be honest. Um, yeah. Ooh, that would just be the icing on the cake, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. I think that'd be the perfect fit. I mean, you got some other guys that are bouncing around, like maybe like Jorge Soler, um, I think would be a solid choice. Other than that, I mean, you can maybe look to the trade market. I mean, we, we talked uh, previously about a trade offer from Miguel Sano. Um, you know, he could be at DH. Um, but other than that, like the free agent market has like Mitch Moreland and uh, like Chris Davis. And it's just kind of like, eh. I don't really think those those are more like reclamation projects rather than let's provide a boost to make this a World Series capable lineup, you know. So that that's where I'm kind of standing on that. Um, so it's I'm I'm excited to see the DH come in. You know, I I used to be against it wholeheartedly, but that that Jimmy Nelson injury definitely changed things for me. 
Yeah, no, I am all for it. I, I've been pretty public with my pro DH stance for a couple of years now. So um, I'll, I, I will I will buy a custom-made jersey that has says DH on the back just to cheerlead <laughs> the new rule if I have to. I don't care. I, I want it. And when Maybe like you can get a, a Nelson Cruz jersey. Yeah, that's fine. Do you, do you have an old one from back when he was still here? I do not. The oldest uh, one I have, uh, it does actually predate that, I believe, is a Jeff Jenkins uh, solid. jersey that's still hanging around somewhere. Solid. Jeff Jenkins. Jeff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jeff Jenkins made our uh, our list of the best first-round draft picks uh, the Brewers ever made. We had that article go up uh, earlier this week on the site, uh, which you can check out at reviewingthebrew.com. Uh, we, I want to talk about that article a little bit here. So I went I went through, I made a starting nine, you know, a, a pitcher, you know, catcher, whole, whole line there of the best first-round picks the Brewers made at each position. And when I get to the end, I'm like, this is a really strong lineup uh, for the most part, one through nine. Um, I mean, the pitcher spot, not very strong offensively uh, because the pitcher spot was Ben Sheets. Uh, because it's, let, let's be clear, or let's be honest, he's the best first-round pitcher the Brewers had. I mean, the, the only other candidates that had a decent major league career were Cal Eldred and Jeff D'Amico. Like, those are the only only other starting pitchers that had, like, a decent career that were drafted in the first round by the Brewers. So it's a very short list, but Ben Sheets definitely tops it. But he could yeah. not hit worth a damn. <laughs> nope. Nope. Uh, in fact, it, it was almost it, it was funny that when I did an article uh, recently about uh, the best hitting pitchers in Brewers history, um, he actually made it on a certain category. But it was only because he had the most sacrifice bunts of any uh, yeah. pitcher. He in could Brewers bunt. History. Yeah, he, he could. could. Like crazy. But part of it also was because he had, I believe, the most plate appearances of any Brewers pitcher. So you're bound to get the most yeah. sacrifice hits uh, at that rate anyway. Uh, so, no, could not hit for a damn. Um, but when oh, when he was at his best, I mean, that 18 strikeout performance, just thinking back to that one is just, oh, just beautiful. That 12 to 6 curve oh. was devastating when he yeah. was on. But, yeah, it's whenever you when you see those posts go around uh, Twitter or social media that say, you know, take one uh, player in history and mm-hmm. uh, remove their injuries uh, for their entire career. Who do you take? A lot of Brewers fans took Ben Sheets because, man, if that guy was healthy, just just if that guy just did a done. lick of conditioning like <laughs> he did. He did pretty much no like conditioning work at all. It was just every fifth day, get out there and just freaking throw. And he was incredible at it. But if he just did the maintenance on the body, he could prevent so many of those injuries. Um, but yeah, that's just, just didn't happen. But oh well. Yeah. Um, but that was a pretty clear choice. Uh, catcher was a little bit tougher. Um, there, there were really kind of only two catchers drafted in the first round. That made the big leagues. B.J. Serhoff and Daryl Porter um, both had somewhat similar numbers. Um, Serhoff hit for a higher average, um, had more stolen bases, um, but Porter had the higher on base percentage. You know, had a bit more longevity, uh, at least with the Brewers. But I ended up choosing Serhoff 
Do you think that was the right call, or would you have gone Porter? No, I think Serhoff is the right call, especially if you if you're not just considering their Brewers tenure. I mean, like you said, so no, I, I am on. just considering. I'm just considering okay. the Brewers tenure. Well, but, but Porter was here for nine years, I believe, and Serhoff was here for only six, I believe, right. or was it yeah. flipped? I don't know. No, I think I, it's no, been a long right. day. Yeah, I've got I've got some Irish uh, oh, in, no, in my is. hot chocolate. Um, you're right. It was Serhoff for nine, actually. There we go. Yep. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, so he outlasted Porter, too, so I guess he gets a little bit of a nod there. Um, but I don't know. I, I I think most Brewers fans you would talk to would agree with the Surhoff choice there. Um, I think it's the right choice. Yeah. And uh, look, looking at the rest of the infield then, the, the rest of the infield was uh, fairly easy choices. Uh, at first base, Prince. Prince Fielder. No doubt about that in my mind. Second base, Ricky Weeks, you know, also pretty pretty clear. Also, not many other second basemen drafted in the first round. Um, mm-hmm. Shortstop, care to take a guess? Hmm. I know it's so tough. Yeah, I don't know. Um, must be it, it must already be Bryce Terang. He <laughs> hasn't even made it an appearance yet. Oh wait, no, it's that that other kid. Yeah. Hmm. That, that that uh the kid yeah I, I think i remember seeing his name up in uh up on the ceiling somewhere i think he's famous and... for lemonade <laughs> stop <laughs> robin uh, yount everyone yeah robin yount the best uh first round pick the brewers made at shortstop and for my money the best first round pick the brewers ever made yeah hard to argue with that <laughs> yeah yeah there's if you want to argue it, uh, go ahead. But um, I think that's a losing argument. Uh, and, and then moving over to third base. Ryan oh, Braun. God, that that, oh, that other Hall of Famer. Not Ryan Braun? Third baseman Ryan Braun? No, no, it wasn't him. <laughs> it was that, that other guy who uh, who stole uh, – actually, no, Brett Favre stole his number. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Paul Molitor. The Igniter, also known as Molly. I mean, you have one super intimidating nickname, and then Molly. <laughs> like, yeah. Like I yeah. get both of them, but like if I were him, I'm just like, you know what? I'll just stick with the Igniter. That sounds cool. Molly, eh. You gotta have those short nicknames though. Three syllables, Molitor. It's too long. Yeah. Gotta shorten them down. So I get it. Yeah. But the igniter, like, come on, that's that's cool. Um, yeah, that's a solid infield, man. Prince, yeah. Ricky, Yount, Molitor. Yeah, Ooh. two Hall of Famers. And, and both were duos on, on their respective sides of the mm-hmm. infield for a number of years. Yeah. Um, so chemistry together, that, that's also important um, in this hypothetical team. Uh, moving to the outfield, uh, left field, unsurprisingly, Ryan Braun. Um, that's, uh, uh, there's just kind of no way around that. Um, the Brewers actually, like when I was looking through, they did not draft a lot of outfielders in the first round over their history, which hmm. given like recent years, that sounds surprising, but right. like in their history, they really kind of hadn't also shortstops. They went 31 years between shortstops. Bill Spears in, in 87, and he was the last one until Terang. In, in 2018, which is incredible. 
but that also explains the 1990s mm-hmm. and the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> it explains a lot. Um, but the outfield, yeah, Ryan Braun, uh, clear-cut left field choice. Center field, uh, a little bit interesting, but I think that like the choice had to be Storman, Gorman, Thomas. Yeah. Beautiful. And Um, like, you look at his numbers and it's like, this is not what I would expect from a center fielder. Like he was a pure power dude. Like he did not like steal many bases. He didn't really hit, you know, he didn't have the big speed. He was just your pure power hitter. Didn't hit for a super high average, hit a bunch of homers. And like, that's great. That's productive. But those are normally your corner guys. Like your up the middle guys, at least nowadays is what we think of them. Nowadays, you don't have that. No, it, it, it's weird it, uh, just to kind of see like some of that evolution. And it's not that like all center fielders look like Gorman Thomas back then. Like, let's not uh, go ahead. Very that, few but. players in history have looked like Gorman Thomas. <laughs> That's true. Um, but also I go and think of like like Kirby Puckett for the uh, Twins. He was just that he was something else like because he looked like this like kind of short portly type guy. But like that guy could move in the outfield. Like he had some defense. Like, like he could hit. He but he did not like visually look like your prototypical center fielder. Yeah. But he got the job done. So yeah. I mean, guys could some of those guys were just different back then. Oh, they were definitely different. De- definitely <laughs> a different breed back then. Uh, and then finishing it out in right field, uh, I put Jeff Jenkins. Jenkins only spent a couple of years uh, in right field. That was when Carlos Lee. Uh, was up in uh, up in Milwaukee, and he did not have a throwing arm at all. Um, so Jenkins moved over to right. But, uh, I mean, Jenkins, I mean, he's up there on the Brewers' career uh, hitting leaderboards um, in, in a lot of categories, you know, batting average, home runs, um, you know, OPS, stuff like that. He was a really productive hitter for a number of years. Uh, I really kind of wish he was on that 2018 and got to experience that success with the Brewers. But he did win the World Series with the Phillies in 2008. So, you know, that man did deserve a ring, and I'm glad he got one. Um, but still, but yeah, Jeff Jenkins fills out that that outfield, and I, I think it's a I think it's a really strong lineup, top to bottom. Yeah, I like it, and it, it's it, the part though um, that kind of gets you is once you move into the second tier, like the <laughs> bet who the, the backup guy would be for each of those positions. It gets real tight, <laughs> real yep. fast, and goes to show you how the uh, first-round picks of the Brewers uh, in history uh, haven't necessarily always hit. No, and I mean, the draft is is a crapshoot anyways. I mean, first-round picks bust all the time uh, in the MLB draft, and you know, that, that's just kind of the way it goes um, You know, when you're projecting so many years out, but... Yeah, the Brewers definitely had stretches there where their drafting was really bad. I mean, the the 90s, you know, especially the early 90s, really didn't see much uh, with, with, you know, solid players. Uh, Obviously, that stretch from, like, 2007 to 2016 uh, has not really worked out uh, that well. So, I mean, you got a couple decade-long stretches in there where you really kind of got nothing um, but I mean, they started off like when they were drafting there in the seventies, I mean, you got, you got Gorman Thomas, you got Robin Young, you got Paul Molitor, you had, um, you know, you had Sirhoff there in the eighties. I mean, Porter was in consideration there. He was drafted in uh what 70, I believe. 
Um, so like they had a bunch of really good draft picks there to really kind of start things off, but yeah, it just kind of, uh, it just kind of is interesting how they go about it. So yeah, almost impressive, honestly, considering the hit rate on first rounders and the limited history of the Brewers in general, the fact that they've only existed for a little over 50 years that you were able to put together as solid a lineup as that. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I got this idea from uh, from Rising Apple, the fan-sided blog covering the New York Mets. Like, they wrote this article. And, like, they had a couple in there where it's just like, really? That's your best? Like, Ike Davis was their top oh. first baseman on that team. They, they wow. had, like, a second baseman that, like, I'd never even heard of. And it's just like, well, I, I think this team is, is better than that, you know? And that's a team that's you know, that's the Mets, you know, yeah. they've been around as long as they have. So, yeah. And are as historic a franchise or whatever as, <laughs> as they have. I mean, they've at least won world series before. So, I mean, they, they've got that on us, but still, you know, like you, you think they'd have something better, but like, you know, first baseman aren't typical first round picks unless you're like a unicorn talent as mm-hmm. Prince Fielder was. Right. Um, so, you just kind of gotta gotta build that team as as best you can. I mean, outside of Prince, like, like if Prince wasn't there, who would I have to choose from at at first base? I mean, there's there a dude that drafted in like '72, like Dan Thomas or something, who <laughs> played like 54 total games. Um, and then what, Keston Hira, like, is that <laughs> the only other option? <laughs> And I mean, honestly, and Keston Hira, you know, as of a couple of years ago, doesn't make that base. list. He, he's a, he's only a second baseman as of a couple of years ago, so he doesn't even get to. Yeah. You know, and the one year making, he spent at first base, he sucked. <laughs> right. But if you're making this list in 2020, he's not even an option. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's tough. But like you yeah. said, I mean, not not necessarily always. First base sometimes is something that a prospect develops into or gets put at. Because, yeah. you know, they didn't work out at their original position or something. So, yeah. Well, I mean, even still, like, B.J. Surhoff was drafted as a shortstop. Like, yeah. his his position was listed as shortstop, and they moved him to catcher. Which yeah. is not a typical move, yeah. but okay. I don't like, know. But, hey, it worked. You know, and he had a pretty long career. But, uh, yeah. So, just kind of crazy things uh, happening there. But I think it was a, it was a pretty good list. Um, so definitely uh, check that out in the in the write-ups on, on all those players, even though we just kind of gave away uh, the entire team. But that's beside the point. Read it anyway. Read it anyways. Dang it. Go go click on the site. Um, Reviewingthebrew.com, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so one last uh, note I, I kind of want to get to here. Even though the 40-man roster guys are locked out, they're not able to go to team facilities, minor leaguers are still able – to show up and some of the Brewers minor leaguers have shown up at Maryvale at American family fields of Phoenix, uh, down there in Arizona. And one of the Brewers top prospects, my favorite, uh, prospect, Hedbert Perez posted a video of his first live BP of the year, uh, the other day. And, you know, I look around, I'm like, that's definitely Maryvale. And there's a bunch of other guys there. Uh, and he's like, like his first live BP was looking good. He had some good swings. That swing is looking as smooth as butter. 
and I it, like it. Ju- it just gets me so excited for the season, man. To to get to get to see some baseball, get to see some players and see how they're doing, and and just watch some baseball, man. I miss it so much. Yeah, it, if there's a silver lining anywhere, it's the fact that this lockout does not affect the minor league season. And so, as it stands, um, there there's going to be minor league games being played, and so that could end up meaning that. Um, until things get settled in, uh, the Timber Rattlers uh, are expected to have a little bump in attendance because until we get MLB games, I don't think it's going to last that far um, that things will be shut down that long. Um, But, you know, it's possible that some, you know, front office Timber Rattlers guys are dreaming of the extra Brewers fans. They might be getting at games for attendance. Um, What is unfortunate about it is that, you know, no 40-man roster players uh, in MLB will get to take part in any of this. So for the most part, you know, that's not making a difference. But for the Brewers, if you think of your, you know, Mario Feliciano's, Alec Bettinger's, your Dylan Files, guys like that, um, they don't get to go. Like, those were guys Mm -hmm. that likely we're not going to see the major leagues anytime soon this year. Um, They're going to be in the minors to start and probably be there for most, if not all of the season. Um, But until the lockouts resolved, they don't get to join their teams. And so that's kind of a bummer is you've got those like end of the 40 man roster type guys who are just in limbo right now. Yes, they were going to be minor leaguers this year, um, but by virtue of being on that 40 man roster, they get delayed in joining their teams. That kind of sucks. Yeah, it definitely does suck for them, but you know, as long as there's going to be something and you know, like if, if MLB opening day gets delayed, get, you know, gets pushed back at all, uh, I could definitely see a lot of people, you know, making the drive to their minor league uh, affiliates, you know, whichever one's nearby and trying to go to opening day there. Uh, so at least they got some baseball that, that they're going to see. I certainly would be uh, down to go, um, you know, if if opening day gets delayed, obviously we'll we'll kind of see uh, how that goes. And, you know, we talked about that for like the first like half of this podcast and it's not looking good right now. Mm-hmm. It is just uh, it is not looking good. But, you know, when it really gets to crunch time, that's when we're going to see movements. You know, we we've seen that all along. We see that in baseball, you know, when it comes to like the trade deadline, when it really comes down to, you know, those final few days where you really got to get it in when, when you have that deadline, that's when you see movement. So apparently we haven't hit it yet, but we're coming up on it pretty dang fast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's time. I don't know what's left to be said at this point. Get in the room, figure it out. Give us baseball. Absolutely. That's a good spot to end it uh, for this week. Uh, Be sure to uh, subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts, Apple, uh, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you're listening here on the Cold Brew Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter uh, at Cold Brew Pod. um, Cold Brew underscore pod or just underscore pod underscore pod. Man, there is it's it's the Irish in in the in the hot chocolate. That's uh, (laughs) a. It's just getting to me today. Uh, cold brew underscore pod. You can follow me and my drunk ramblings at dgasper24. Follow Matt at, at mkemat13. Uh, we'll see you next time for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast.